What is up, everybody? It is your boy, Michael. Joined as always with Lincoln, and we have a very special guest with us. Joining us from Denver, Colorado, we have Jesse from Trash Panda. Jesse, how's it going? Jesse! Good. How are you guys? We're good. Very good. Uh, thank so you for... Splendid. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it. Welcome to the Left Hand Backhand podcast. You are you are officially an honorary lefty now. I've never seen your left hand backhand. I imagine it's probably pretty okay, but no, you imagine incorrectly. Everything like my brain and my body completely disconnect from one another when I try to throw backhand with my left hand. So like my brain tells my left hand, like, you know, my whole body, like, you know, the form, you know, everything you need to do right now. And then somehow my body just goes, I'm not going to do any of that. And I'm just going to go all wonky. It's horrible. So I'm not underplaying it, Lincoln. You'll see someday. Well, I plan to see, and I will post it on the channel (laughs) and we can laugh about it. Um, But thank you for joining us. Uh, This is a pretty momentous occasion really like not to underplay it or anything but you just had your second disc launch with the launch party on friday and the disc officially was released yesterday to the public to be purchased a plastic ton or garbage ton of discs were purchased and are in process of being sent out if you've uh, looked at the Trash Panda Instagram reels or reels, no stories. You would see a massive amount of discs being shipped out and ready to go. And uh, thankfully, you and I have become friends, Jesse. If I'm not overstepping my bounds there, no. uh, and you agreed to come on the podcast probably two months ago or something like that, no. and then. We, you got busy, I got busy. And then I was like, yeah, the dunes dropping. Like, I'm not going to bother you. And then you overheard me mention it again. And we're like, oh, shoot, dude, I'm so sorry. Like, can I come on pod this week? And I'm like, hey, let's go. So that's crazy. It literally last year, I mean, the whole leading up to the dune release was quite similar. I mean, completely dissimilar from the inner core, but quite similar in the sense that they were both very busy. Um, But then the, post release is quite different because right now I would have been probably in some form of coma just <laughs> gone and yeah, doing more shipping yourself than yeah what you're like, doing now still making all the discs with the inner core but now we've got them all made and it's just fulfilling and like I feel like we actually yeah I feel like I can I'm I'm above water to some extent so coming on the pod was a was an easy thing to do so stoked to be here Awesome. We'll, we'll keep this uh, not too long so you can go on a lovely walk with your lovely wife, which I met his wife this last week and she is fantastic. She's a doll. She's so rad, as Jesse would say, and supportive and just kills it. Like she, she was awesome to get to meet this week. So that was fun. Um, we want to make this an opportunity for you to talk about the Dune as much as you want, to be able to talk about uh, future trash panda things in the work talk about the process leading up to the dune essentially we want, we want to yeah. give you the platform to uh, expound in ways that you typically don't in other videos and michael and i have a slew of questions so if you want us to jump into questions let's do it we'll do that if you've got stuff you want to bring up and talk about 
this is this is meant to be interactive, but also highlighting the man, the myth, the trash man, Jesse, the trash panda, as my daughter calls you. Yeah, there we go. No, I'm I'm ready to be taken on a journey. So ask me, ask away. Perfect. Okay, Mike, you want to start us out? Uh, sure. Um, my first question is, what lessons from the inner core, I, the whole process helped with the the Dune release? Oh, or didn't help. You, you can be like, you can no, be broad no. or generic. You can kind no, of take yeah. whatever you like. There were. I'm only taking pause just because there were a lot. Um, it was our first disc release. The inner core was mm-hmm. so we had a lot of lessons to learn. There were marketing lessons, there were manufacturing lessons, and there's a whole slew of lessons that keep going below those. I would say that the big ones were, um, the, the, I'll just go with the biggest one that kind of acts as a little bit of an umbrella to both of those categories and then some other ones. And that was just to not rush the process which sounds kind of funny when you know that it took us a little over two years to make (laughs) our first disc. It's like, uh, didn't you not rush the process already? But once we had that mold and once we had the regrind, I was like, go, go, go full pedal to the metal through any problem, through any issue. We just kept going. We kept trying to just like I think we tried to make the inner core happen quicker than really we should have. But that's ultimately just a lesson that I can only apply to the next one. And so on this one, I kind of slowed down, trusted the process. And I actually, we we ordered the mold for Dune on the day of the release for the inner core. No because way. everything kind of happened. And I was oh, like I affirmed. Yeah, it was just this moment where I was like, okay, what we thought would happen is happening. So let's let's keep going. And ultimately, I know we're five months out from that release and the goal was to release i don't know how much i've talked about this publicly but the goal was to release dune on earth day which is april 22nd and not 420 no okay it would be nice for a colorado manufacturer but earth day (laughs) is just so much more important to us of course uh so we're recording on july 11th we released yesterday on july 10th july 10th and april 22nd are pretty far apart from each other right and so so i think that was the the lesson of we got about a month out from earth day and it was like okay let's slow it down we're not there yet we've got too many pieces to put in place and had it been the year prior i probably would have still pushed us to release by earth day but this year I, I slowed it down and made sure that we were doing everything right. And it it worked out beautifully because all of our team was able to have a life to some extent throughout this. Yeah. And those decisions don't just impact me anymore. It impacts our team too. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, we've just been trusting the process, going slowly and, you know, doing it the right way rather than rushing to get it done. That's probably the biggest lesson. Good. Awesome. I will say it got released much faster than I expected it to be. I, I don't know what your expectations were. It sounded like you wanted it to be quicker, but I mean, based on the inner core being launched in November and the Dune being launched in July, like that's that's pretty quick yeah. for 
my expectations. Yeah. Well, we're, we're a new manufacturer. There's a lot we're learning. So at the end of the day, I think looking back, I probably should have expected this like eight month window that probably would have been perfect. But then, you know, on the one hand, it's like, it took us two and a half years for our first one. So eight months is super quick. But then on another hand, last year, Lone Star released what, 21 different molds. So it feels like it's, it's a funny place to be in, but I'm, I'm very happy with the pace we're at. So I'll take it. That's fair. Uh, You mentioned, you know, learning lessons here moving forward. You've, you've released some information on another podcast, I believe, or maybe it was a YouTube video. I can't remember. Um, But moving forward, what is the like, next one to three steps in terms of discs uh you know effect on the market like where where do you see trash panda in we'll say six months and then maybe 18 months yeah next one two three steps one ship out all of the orders which today we worked all day and got through all of the orders that were placed in the first it was either two or three two minutes minutes. yeah yeah so (laughs) We're going to be shipping for a minute. Um, after that, this month, we're actually going to need to move warehouses. So that's not something we've talked about. But okay. there, I say need to move. We are going to move warehouses. It's not like mm-hmm. a need to. I mean, whatever. There's a lot of reasons going into it, but it is mm-hmm. going to be a better move at the end of the day for us. So cool. we're moving warehouses this month. Um, and then... That process actually, ironically, began yesterday. So (laughs) on the day of the release, which is hilarious. Um, And then I don't even know what the third step is after that. But bigger, zooming out a little further, which is, I imagine, what you were meaning. Um, Fairway is next for us. A fairway driver is, for me, is it's always been putter mid fairway sustainable starter sets. So, um, some, some kind of neutral with some kind of just ever so slight overstability fairway is the goal. We'll see how good we are at, uh, designing discs, but both the inner core and the dune don't necessarily favor forehand like they do backhand. And so my hope on this one is to create, create a disc that fits both slots flying in the, a similar way. Um, so yeah, I mean, think think about your classically straight seven speed. That's with a little bit of finish. That's where we're going for. Well, I know. So, I'm gonna I know just the disc for you. Yeah, <laughs> my, Michael has a few questions surrounding this specific disc uh, that I'm gonna ask Michael to ask those questions. Yeah, let's go. That's only uh, step one. I don't even know what step two and three are after that. So that's perfect. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I've I've listened, watched your like in the bag with Robbie C and just your in the bag video and one of your only fairways and kind of staple is the Explorer. And mm-hmm. I absolutely, that's one of my favorite discs, my favorite mold. It's just so controllable. You it's can the best. Use, you can use it on a forehand when you need it. Um, and so if it's anything like that, you can put down 10 for me cause I will be ordering them for sure. <laughs> Or I can give you my 10 explorers because I also am a big fan of the explorer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's uh both both, it, both of you I have knowledge that it's one of your top three favorite molds of all time. 
Yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, tomato, tomato, explore, T-bird, FD, etc. Like mm. you got mad at me just... for making that comparison once, though. What? I said, oh, okay, so it's like a T-bird, and you're like, no, it's an explorer. <laughs> I probably woke up on the wrong side of the bed that morning. <laughs> it was early morning at some point. Uh, no, the, <laughs> it, they're all, I mean, they're all so similar, and everyone has like a neutral fairway they love. Yeah. Um, I, there's, I, I kind of play with both plastics on the Explorer side, Opto, and then um, Recycled. Oh, Mm -hmm. oh, the recycled is going to be much like a slightly more understable version. Yep. And then the opto is going to have a little more fight to it. Um, I, I love both of those. I love like if I could see a world in which our disc, whatever it is, kicks out one of those and the other stays in or one of them, you know, I, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's a funny thing because designing a disc this is something i haven't really talked about but you know we're designing a mold we cut that mold so now we've now we've cut into the steel and we've created this mold and if it comes out flying not like i had planned but in a way that's fantastic like or in a way that's that fills a slot that we eventually want to fill yeah fantastic or not just fills a slot it's it's an interesting decision in terms of sustainability to go recut a different mold or to say this wasn't what we were going for but this is great so we'll ship that one yeah um so we'll see what happens there we haven't had to run into that problem quite yet the inner core took two variations dune was a first try friday which was crazy um awesome. we'll see what happens on the next one we can't get better than first try so it's only downhill from there yeah for sure so we'll see and i that kind of leads into my question is like are you basing your molds, the inner core and the dune off of like, do you have any experience making discs molds? Do you have someone on your team that knows more about that? Or are you just kind of, you like this feel of a disc, you want to replicate it as close as possible? Or are you just getting very lucky and yeah. skilled? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great question. Yeah. It's like all skill building out the mold. Yeah. One hundred percent skill. <laughs> Just what kidding. It feels it's like one hundred percent luck. No, it, well, thank you. The so no, none of us have experience. It's myself and then our R and D guy. His name is Chris. He's based in New Hampshire. He's been with me since um, I'd say day one, but it was you know day ten. Really, it was just right there. How did um, you meet him? He he reached out um, after video we kind of started talking back when i didn't have like we didn't have that many subscribers it was much easier to connect with individuals and whatnot yeah and so we just started talking he had some experience in tinkering and making things and we kind of just started playing around together um tinkering together if you will i would call him with a problem we would try to solve it whatever and he uh so oh my gosh i just lost the question completely the, building the mold Oh, building the mold. So wait, I'm still lost. When you build oh, like... do, expertise, expertise. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So um just you know, just cut that of course. when I got lost and then start here. No, I'm yeah, just kidding. Professional. Uh, <laughs> the 
in terms of experience, both of us had none, but we just have been kind of in trial by fire, just going for it. And then the interesting thing about design is it's like, okay, this is roughly based on like, like the inner core is roughly based on every beadless putter you've ever felt, right? Like mm -hmm. it just feels like a beadless putter. It's kind of your classically neutral feeling disc, but then there were some specific problems like the density of the material we were, we were using that caused us to design it to be a certain way. And so it was like, we started with a baseline of, okay, this generally is shaped like what we're going for, but then how can we make it like change things to fit what we're, we're hoping for. And that might be the flight path. That might be the volume, the, the mold needs to be yeah. honestly, this is a fun one. This is, I'm, I'm sure I've said this somewhere, but a lot of people don't know about the fact that um, the the inner core has a perfectly flat top to it because I designed it when it was back in my garage. And I was like, well, how would I cool a disc after I make it? Well, the easiest way I can imagine is to just flip it over, lay it <laughs> flat on its back on a table. So the reason it's perfectly flat is simply because of that. And when it came down to changing that, I couldn't change it because that just is part of the story. And now it's turned into like a feature that people actually know and love. And so it really starts with kind of, we don't know a lot, trial by fire. Here's a few discs we like in terms of just baseline ideas. Mm -hmm. And then we'll get a rough shape going. And then we need to solve this problem or this problem or this problem. And as we do, that starts to then become our disc. So, yeah, it's like the Frankenstein of discs and molds to come up with the masterpiece yeah. of the Dune. Yeah. So Perfect. I've got a question kind of related to that. I mean, we all know flight numbers are a frame of reference, right? Uh, personally, in my bag, I like to have both seven speeds and nine speed fairway drivers because I, I use them in different ways. Like, I don't need to get into it. Some of our listeners have already heard that through my in the bag <laughs> uh, process. But um, in looking forward to building this next mold, do you take into consideration much about what you're targeting the flight numbers to be? Slash, are you going for a seven speed? Or is there potential that you're going to look at a nine speed? Or are you going to go like seven and then nine? Or are you going to maybe make this an eight? Like, like yeah, yeah, where, where, does, where, where does this next disc kind of fall in that spectrum? Yeah, speed is actually about as easy as it gets when it comes to flight numbers because rim width. because it's kind of the rim width, like you said. Yeah. It's, it's not actually, but basically it's the rim width. Everything else right. is all of a sudden you get down a whole rabbit hole about <clears throat> subjectivity and like different th things. But as far as the the speed is concerned, most of it is based on the rim width. And the reason you're going to lean on a seven versus a nine or a nine versus a seven is you might want to get a little extra distance out of something that's still controllable, unlike that 11 might be. Right. And so for us, when it comes to the goal of sustainable starter sets, seven speed just makes sense in that slot. Three, Plus, five, seven. Yeah, something like that. It's technically two five seven, but oh, I apologize. Uh, it's okay. 
um, in terms of just a friendly putter for people to be able to be beginners with something they can truly throw first, first round ever mid range is the same way, maybe takes a little more work, but as far as a beginner goes, like you might see some actually solid distance out of that. And then oftentimes when I'm with a beginner, I won't even have them touch a driver, even a fairway, even seven speed right. until we get to a place where I'm like, okay, this actually is, you know, let's, let's now upgrade to that. And so seven for me is there. Nine is just a little too much of a jump in my opinion for that beginner set, the starter set. Um, plus I want to throw all my own discs. So I got a seven speed that needs kicking out and, uh, yeah sure sometimes it's as simple as that too <laughs> yeah so is is nine in the future plans or are you going to jump straight to distance driver from there like, like where, where do you know that line at all yet or do you have a kind of a theory there yet i i have always had like a long plan for trash panda and always had just kind of every step lined out and interestingly enough while I see a plan for the next handful of years, I don't know what disc comes after the fairway quite yet. So I actually don't know. That's a, that's a straight up. I don't know answer, but yeah, we'll see. I I'm, I'm not sure yet. Cool. Um, you talked about, uh, flight numbers a little bit and you're thinking about making that seven speed, but the process, do you want to talk a little bit more about the process that you went through to make the flight numbers on the dune? Because I think you went through quite an extensive trial process of doing some like science labs on it, like aerodynamics, and then also sending it to various altitudes to make sure you get the most accurate numbers possible. Um, just talk about that process a little bit. Yeah, for sure. We're based in Denver. A lot of people, I'm sure listeners of this show understand that discs fly differently at different elevations. And it just never made sense for me on top of the elevation portion. It just never made sense for me since day one that there wasn't some form of standardization to flight numbers. Yeah, And it's just whatever you want it to be. Genuinely, like I can choose, like I'll send a disc to get PDGA approved. The PDGA will put the specifications on their website. They will tell you what the rim depth is. They will tell you all those pieces. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, I still tell them what that is, but then if they think it's different, they'll put theirs up. There's nothing like that for flight numbers, which is just bonkers to me. And we're out here with one company saying one thing and another company saying another thing. And in this weird world of disc golf, I don't even know if this is a thing, but I'd have to imagine it is. Some companies' discs are made by other manufacturers. They're the same mold. And I'd have to imagine among some of those molds, they've chosen different flight numbers, even though they're the same disc. Yeah. To me, that just or doesn't different make- runs of plastic that have different flight numbers like or or plastics i mean dx to star is a completely different disc <laughs> made in the same mold and then weights as well i threw so a we dx just destroyer the other day it's a, a 161 it's an interesting disc let me tell you yeah yeah it's a it's a thrower i'm sure the 
it, the fact that there's no standardization there just blows my mind. And I, I just thought, okay, how can we do a little bit of work here to at least do our due diligence? Because if the way my brain works with a background in marketing is that if there's no standardization, then flight numbers are marketing. That is a marketing tactic for me. If I want people to buy a disc and generally people don't buy understable discs, I'm not going to call it as understable as it might be. Yeah. Right. Or whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. The tilt at the beginning of Trash Panda, the tilt also came out and it's a 9116. And if you flip that over, it's a 9116. Yeah. And that's, that's a marketing play. Like mm-hmm. it's just to me, like, it, none of it made sense. And I didn't want my bias to block any of that. And so we've done a little bit of work on each of our discs using um, not only just like trying to get a large sample group at different elevations. Um, the dune has been thrown anywhere from literally zero feet because I threw it on the beach um, to Leadville, Colorado, which is like 10 or 11,000 feet. The we've thrown it all over the place, whatever we've gotten these flight numbers. I feel really good about them, but at the end of the day, what I would love is for someone to come out with like for the PDJ or whoever to create this standardization. And then I'm okay. If our flight numbers change after that, like if someone says, Hey, it's actually X, Y, and Z, that's okay with me. As long as we just have a clear cut across the board. Um, But it's a, yeah, we tried to we tried to put some science in. We did the elevation. We did computational fluid dynamics. This time we're collecting a little bit more data, and we'll talk about that in an upcoming video. But Sick. yeah, it's a it's a wild west, if you will. Cool. Well, uh, leading into another question, because Trash Panda doesn't put their flight numbers on the disc. I don't know if that's a future plan. I don't assume it would be because. Again, flight numbers are arbitrary. Uh, and you've done a, an amazing job of incorporating the design of the disc to include a stamp on the bottom for a multitude of reasons, which you've talked about on your channel. Um, and so Trashman is in a, a good way of not having to have to update the flight numbers on the design or style or stamp or whatever yeah. it is. You know what I mean? It's like you're that that's a good pre-step right there already um but michael had a question that i thought was kind of interesting is if you had or if you could design a stamp for the dune what would be different compared to the bottom stamp that you have on it or the bottom imprint that you have on it hmm. that's a very interesting question great job i good job mike mm-hmm. by the way just going back quickly i have to say part of the reason we don't have the flight numbers on the bottom of the disc is just because they haven't been decided by the time that we needed to engrave the mold. mold. Yeah. So sometimes it's not even harder than that. There's also the fact of, even if we did, I I probably Lincoln based on your previous point, I probably wouldn't put them on there because of different runs of plastic. Um, Like I've got a dune that's like a, it's like an O2 compared to the negative one zero that, the stock ones are or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, and if we use our base plastic, I mean, who knows how those would fly. So very intriguing. Um, yeah, me too. I think <laughs> if I had to design a stamp, 
I mean, the the best part about the stamps is that you can constantly change them. Whereas with engraving on a mold, it's it's you engraved it and it's done. Yeah. Unless you rebuild the mold. Um I I am so I'm so proud of the stamp and what our marketing guy Tom did on the bottom of the dune. It's killer. I, I I probably would put it on the top and then make it just more visible. Bigger. Because it would be a different color or something like that. But I I love it. Um, he's also created some other assets with this whole world we've created around the dune that I think, I think I would do, you know, five different stamps or something like that. And that's something we haven't talked about a lot, but the, the fact that we don't stamp is due to the sustainability or lack of sustainability, not only in the process, but the effects on future recyclability of the discs. Mm -hmm. And the thing we haven't talked about a lot is that we have a few irons in the fire trying to find a solution that would allow us to create some form of stamp on the top as well. Um, But that is kind of lower on the totem pole of my priorities. And I'm super proud of the disc we've created. And as a marketing guy, I just am like, when you see an unstamped disc, and if you see an unstamped blue putter on the course, you're like, hey, is that is that an inner core? Like, yeah. to me, we've created this little cult around the no top stamp, and I'm fine keeping that for a little bit. So sure. I, I honestly love it. Yeah. Lincoln knows I, I'm a huge, I love wiping my stamps. There's nothing <laughs> to me, there's nothing better than a clean top disc, um, especially with all the plastics that other manufacturers are coming out with. Like, they're so pretty. I don't need a huge stamp to hide all that amazing plastic underneath it so yeah. um i yeah. love it i bought I a disc a couple months ago and mike's like oh that's so cool are you gonna wipe the stamp i'm like i got i got it specifically because I, I thought it. it was cool he's like yeah but it'd look better without the stamp <laughs> okay the, the trend right now is the more swirly like plastics and yeah. the we're seeing it in someone like discraft discraft just ran their whole tour series as a bottom stamp not a top stamp so yeah. I, I'm sure you bought a handful of those. If you didn't, that would, would have been the yeah. way to go. Yeah. But USM's, I think the, yeah. yeah, I think the, the, there's the way things have been done and then there's new ways of doing things. And I'm not trying to say that I'm doing the new way of doing things, mm-hmm. but I do think that that we are in the shift in disc golf where it just went from the couple of manufacturers who everyone knew and just were kind of monopolizing the market to a more widespread, like there's more creativity being brought to the table. There's more innovation. There's more, more pushing it forward. And I think it's exciting to see. Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what's like more normal in the future. Uh, yeah. A company like loft is a good example the first two discs they made, not only were they really different feeling from any other disc and very, very much science-based, but they have this purple, this like lavender purple that they made their discs in that is kind of their brand color. And you don't see Innova pushing yellow because yellow is their brand color, but you have this other company pushing a color. I think that's so interesting. And I think the, the, 
fact that we have more is going to make it a really interesting world in five years, 10 years in disc golf to see what's normal because I'm on a little bit of a rant. I'm sorry, Lincoln, we'll get take to what it. you were going to say. I apologize. The, when it. I started playing in 2008, we would try to die our own discs and there was only the fly die Innova stuff at that point. And it was so hard to die a disc. We just gave up. Like there wasn't these easy chemical like pro chem and different things like that was not around at that point that I sure. know of, or people just didn't talk about it. And we had these crazy ways of trying to die a disc that it was just that tie dye looking disc. That was like, that was the trend. And now swirls are the trend. It'll be interesting to see what the next trend is. Who knows? Yeah. That's well, fun. Um, you and I have talked about this on the course in the past, but sustainability with stamps. Uh, if you don't want to expound on it because you don't feel that you're ready to share any information or whatever, that's totally fine. But I've been brainstorming since we talked about it, ways that we can make stamping a disc more sustainable. I don't think hot stamping is within that future, but I'm wondering if you have uh, newer or improved thoughts compared to when we last talked about this, probably, I don't know, a year ago, maybe. Yeah. The, I mean, well, so, so hot foil stamping to be clear, hot foil stamping is a small layer of foil, which is this small layer of metal attached to a small layer of PET, which is number one plastic. Um, that's like your plastic single use water bottle. And that PET, when heat pressed into a disc, acts as a bonding agent. So it works kind of like the glue. So you have foil, one type of plastic, and then another type of plastic. That's the problem with the future recyclability as far as the stamp is concerned, is that it creates these minor contaminants. And if you were to just recycle one disc into another disc, depending on, you know, let's just call it an average size foil, at face value, it wouldn't affect it that much. You wouldn't see those effects. It could happen on a chemical level, but then additionally, it's the the continual process of that, or if you're recycling a ton of discs that all have stamps on them, then maybe one disc comes out with a bunch of problems. And who knows, maybe on a cold day when you hit a tree and it cracks, that might not be because the plastic is brittle, but because there was, there was, a you know, a, this chink in the armor. So that's kind of the problem as far as the future recyclability is concerned. But then additionally, there's the current recyclability of the um, of the excess of the stamp because it's foil and plastic. So right. I have I have yet to find anyone who recycles that so that you could send the excess to to recycle it. And I don't even know with at least my knowledge what the process would be to, you know, take those two things apart. To be honest, anyone who says they recycle it probably burns the plastic and thus just melts down the foil. Yeah. If, if we could create, and it might honestly be out there, it might be something that some of these companies are already doing. Um, if we could create a, in a, a replacement for foil that is a plastic type like TPU that would thus be, you know, 
with he adhered to also TPU, which is the base plastic in all premium plastic discs, then that would be, that would not compromise the recyclability of that. And then additionally, if the excess material was just one thing, it would be much easier to recycle as well. So it, it hot stamping could potentially be a solution. Just hot foil stamping creates some of those problems. And I don't know the world of hot stamping enough. Sure. We're, we're working with some people right now on that. Um, also, there's, you know, just one of the things we already tried that was a little bit of a bust was screen printing just how you would make a shirt. Could you do that on a disc? We tried it and it seems that the best option is for like in terms of durability of what would be printed on the disc is an ink that is so toxic and problematic. And thus we're at, we're at, you know, we're at a roadblock again. So um, that kind of like not, tosses not saying that I need trash panda to have foils or, or, a stamp on the top of it because like you said the dune props no, no, to tom stamp, and shout out listen, to stamping is awesome tom, but i mean not not that i'm just saying we don't need that to happen i'm just curious uh you know to develop yeah, developments have, on that and you have like tournaments that want to have a custom stamp on the disc you true. have clubs yeah, yeah, yeah. you have leagues like i i i love i love everything about stamping except for just the waste that it creates and the problems it creates in the process. But as far as like what it does for our sport, it's awesome. And tour series is awesome. There are players who wouldn't be on the road without tour series discs. Like those are things we at this point cannot do unless we cut into the mold again and thus permanently change it to be something else. Or, you know, one of the things we've talked about for, years at this point is offering stamped minis or custom minis to some of our partners and just other businesses, um, you know, leagues, clubs, etc. to, you know, cut a new mold for a mini for they want, they might want, say someone wants a hundred, it's minimum going to be a thousand dollars to cut a new plate for them. Yeah. That's just not going to be a startup cost that's, that they're going to be willing to incur paying an extra 10 bucks per mini. So, um, you know, some, some might be willing to do that, but that's not a scalable option. And that's what, you know, growing the sport sustainably, which is our mission. It, it, it doesn't go very far if it's just me and my garage alone. And that's why we have continued to scale. That's why we've continued to move. And I want to make sure that the solutions we provide are scalable so that the impact is greater because, it really all comes down to the bottom line, which is how much plastic have we recycled? How much plastic has been diverted from landfills? And right now, I feel like that number is so small and I can't wait to see it just continue to snowball over the coming years. Cool. Which is the point of the day, little by little. Little by little. Little, little. little becomes a lot. So cool. Yeah. Yep. Um, to piggyback off of the sustainability um, aspect, what would you like to see from the disc golf community, uh, mm-hmm. possibly the pro tour or other manufacturers to become more sustainable? I think you're the kind of the, you're the leader in sustainability and obviously manufacturers are huge, but is there any 
small piece that they could do um, that you know of that would help be more sustainable for the future? Yeah, that's a great question. The, I think people, the whole story of the dune, like we just mentioned, is that people kind of um, discount the value of small actions. And the fact that it can really just be about little changes here or there. Um, in terms of, well, I had this gentleman on my podcast named Johannes Kropf. He's based in Germany. He plays disc mm-hmm. golf and he's in a wheelchair. Yeah, he was just and on the him, In the Bag podcast this last week. Oh, heck yeah. Awesome. I asked him about the, you know, what could, what can course designers do? And that's a very quick version of the question I asked, but he, and a quick version of his response was that he said, basically, it's not, it's not that they need to design a course for accessibility or for people in wheelchairs, but just design a course with those people in mind, with someone who might be in a wheelchair in mind. And I thought that was such an interesting way to put it of just, you don't have to change everything. Mm-hmm. just keep me in mind. And I think that's sustainability in disc golf. It just hasn't been a conversation. Let's just make sure that there's room at the table for sustainability. So when we make a decision and we're between this and that, and we're kind of stuck and this one offers, you know, less of an impact negatively, maybe we choose that one. Or maybe it's not even that big of a decision, but it's just like, Oh, we could do that. So why not? Like if on the pro tour, for example, you know, this tournament here, then this tournament there, then this tournament there, then this tournament there. And it's just going all the way snaking around the country. Maybe there are some very simple decisions about the time of those and where, you know, hundreds of players are driving around in their vans and the impact that that might have the tour moving itself, et cetera. Um, I say they're simple decisions. I understand there's a whole, there's a whole, you know, heap of logistics that go into running one of those events. And, but like you said, keeping it in mind. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's not the, we say it's not about someone doing everything, but everyone doing something. You don't have to change everything, but just do something. And if we all do something, what does our world look like? For example, we've all played on courses where there's a lot of trash. And what if everyone <laughs> just picked up? Sorry, I had a cough there. There it is. What if everyone just picked up one piece of trash? What if everyone who played, so let's just call out Expo, for example, and Expo's a fantastic little course in Denver. The there are thousands of people who play that course on a monthly basis. I don't even know what the number is, but I could spend all day picking up a thousand pieces of trash or a thousand people could go through and just pick up one piece of trash during every round. What would our courses start to look like? Not just expo. So as far as the manufacturers, TDs, shop owners, players, etc., it's just like, what if you just thought about what's one thing I could do? And then maybe that snowballs into another thing. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe all that happens is we're all now just doing one thing, but that's a completely different world than we live in right now. Cool. Yeah. 
uh, as listeners of our podcast know, we were uh, repping the Trash Panda brand at USAMS, which was a super cool experience. Jesse, you and I haven't even fully caught up on that. I know. Just the busyness <laughs> of, of I just everything realized going that on. while you were talking about it. I was like, oh my gosh, we still haven't caught up on that. Yeah, which, you know, it is what it is. Um, but Michael can attest to this. We had a couple people on our cards that picked up a piece of trash on the course and pointed to us and we're like, Hey, I picked up some trash. And like, just like the thought, you know, having it in your mind, having it be, you know, not just eh, there's trash. Somebody else will pick it up. You know, just like ha- having that like presence of mind, um, even just being at USAM's a course that is pretty well manicured. And, you know, yeah, if there's trash on the course, it's not going to kill anything. Right. But it's the, the concept and the movement behind it. And just having a couple guys on our card that noticed trash, recognized that we were there supporting a brand or repping a brand that yeah. is all about sustainability, right? They found it within themselves to go out of their way to pick up a, a little piece of trash, but then other people on the card noticed it as well. And that was probably my favorite part of just like repping the brand while we were there, like not just giving out minis and talking about the dune and showing people the dune and stuff, but like just yeah. those, those little moments. Um, I, Michael, you, you can attest to it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was like one of the coolest parts of repping the brand while we were there. Yeah. Heck yeah. That's awesome Good. to hear. The, there's a saying that disc golfers love that's like pack in pack out and it's Mm -hmm. like whatever you pack in make sure you pack it out and i feel like we need to replace that with the saying leave it better than you found it yeah Yeah. it's not just about taking out what you took in but like something doesn't have to be your fault to be your responsibility and that is why not thank you i I'm 99% (laughs) sure I wasn't the first one to say it. I'm sure I got that somewhere else. Don't like it. The, you know, why, why wouldn't we as disc golfers just take responsibility? Like that piece of trash might've just fallen out of someone's pocket. It might have been blatantly thrown on the ground. Who cares? Why wouldn't we pick it up? Why wouldn't we take responsibility and want our courses to be better? Um, And I say this as a guy... Go ahead. Oh, quickly. I'll, yeah, I'll just say, I say this, I want to be clear that I say this as a guy who, like, for years, probably did not pick up trash on the course. Like, for years, I played the sport and just kind of was like, ah, it's so annoying that there's trash on the course, and then stepped right over it. So I'm not, by any means, perfect in that sense. And like, we're all guilty of it. Even now, I'm not, I do not pick up 100% of the pieces of trash that I see on the course. So it's just like, I, I hope it doesn't seem like I'm trying to create an expectation that's not attainable. No. It's just simply like just one or just take responsibility. What does it look like? Yeah. No, it's not like a holier than thou sort of thing. But I do think that if we are able to instill this culture in the disc golf community, you know, not just here in Denver, but you know, across the world where disc golf is played it'll keep courses looking better and it'll make, you know, 
counties and cities and towns want to have a course because the culture behind it is not, oh, we're going to have guys, you know, drinking beer, have garbage everywhere, smoking weed or whatever, you know, being a distraction. It's, hey, this is going to be a beautiful asset to our parks and rec or, you know, whatever it is. So I, yeah. I, it's only going to help, right? But I, I like the, the adding responsibility to it. I think it's, that's really cool. Yeah, I said that with, we did this year, the um, International Course Cleanup Weekend, partnered with our friends at yep. UDISC to do that. We had like over, I think it was over 200 course cleanups around the world, which was crazy. Awesome. And I'm not- Next year, it'll be 500. Yeah, yeah we'll see. I, I am not positive of what I'm about to say, this statistic, but I'm pretty sure that no, no one out of the people who showed up like 100% of people who showed up are not the people who just casually leave trash on the course. All of the people who took part in that were people who believed that it doesn't have to be your fault to be your responsibility. And they took responsibility. And I think that's awesome. So the more ways we can create and instill that kind of thing, then, you know, when people are walking around, whatever it is, even in just regular life, like anytime right. seeing something that, Hey, this, like, this is my fault, but, I'll take responsibility for it. Why not? Yeah, it's cool. cool. Well, we don't want it to take too much of your time. We definitely want to take some of your time, but not too much of it. Um, we have a few rapid fire questions that we want Let's to throw it. at you. So you can elaborate if you want. I'm but ready. We're going to throw some questions. Mike, you want to start us off? Sure. Okay. Favorite course and or hole in Denver? Sorry, did you say favorite course and hole? And or so if you just have like a very favorite hole or course as or. entirety. Ooh. Yeah, put you on the spot here a little bit. Yeah, this and, isn't so, and, this isn't very rapid. And no, you to, don't get to choose your own course that you've designed. It's not gonna be there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small school, nine hole. Uh I'm gonna go with one, two, three. Six, hole six at Stonegate is up there. Really? Is that through the trees? Uh, the new, or I guess that would be the new hole six then. Yeah, right with hole one and two being gone. I don't know. I'm not good at counting. But uh, people can just guess. Yeah. There the we go. Tiny, tiny one through the trees. Yes. Okay. That's interesting. Why is that? I I just I, I'm gonna play that hole ten times and maybe birdie it once right now. So I and it's a hundred and what seventy feet, like uh, like a hundred ten maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So I. Yeah. I, by the way, not taking the cheater route of going up and over or anything like that. Just trying to yeah. actually hit the gap. It's going it, to, it actually challenges my ability to short range hit a gap. And it's a very, very, very tight gap. So it's fun. Yeah. yeah, it is fun. I've, I have video of you smacking first available. So there's I'll hold a video that, on I'll our, hold that over you. <laughs> no, there's a video on our YouTube channel that has me smacking it like 10 times in a row. So yeah, yeah. it's a good time. Uh, I'm going to follow Michael's list here. Favorite pro tour course you have not played. So I know you've played MVP and raved about it. Yeah. That's like one of the only ones I've played. 
I I'm gonna go Northwood Black just because I I love the challenge it sets up and I would love to play there. If you could make a dream card of four, you can include yourself or you can just be a spectator following them. What would your dream card be? Probably like... <laughs> probably like... Climo, Schultz, Juliana Corver, cool. and Elaine King in their heyday. There's just yeah. not. There's just not the footage from it. Yeah. So yeah. being able to see it would be awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. Uh, um, what Denver course should, and I'm also going to caveat this with, could host a pro tour event. So should and or could. Um, Paco shouldn't and couldn't, but Paco should and could. <laughs> <laughs> I actually agree with that. Like. It, for those who don't know, Paco is probably the course that you're going to run into the most homeless people on. Just people. But, just there's there's bike always, paths through yeah. it. People are walking. Like yeah. just just people. Like yeah, and it's like right downtown Denver. It's like one of the few courses that's actually close to downtown. Um, but it has some really cool holes for sure. Yeah, and it has the it has the length that it actually. Well, it's like a 20... could be lengthened out to be. Is it twenty-one holes? Yeah, I always forget this. Yeah. It's, a, 20, it's a few more, a little holes more. than eighteen. Yeah. I know it's more than eighteen. I just don't know how many. So it could be lengthened out to you know to create a little extra challenge and stuff. But you'd have to you'd have to shut down the whole park and the city blocks to yeah. make sure that yeah, it just it would never happen. But it should, and yeah. it couldn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh on a scale of one to ten, how sad are you about Bailey? Eleven. Bailey is a disc golf course in Bailey, Colorado that just got recently closed. Eleven. I'm so heartbroken. It's like I just want to go back one more time, you know? <laughs> I dream about it every night. Oh, okay. If you were to travel anywhere in the world for a destination disc golf travel, where would it be? This might seem like a cop out, but all on islands, just because it's all there, and I, there's just so much. I think, it, yeah, it just it would be a jam packed handful of days, but it would be awesome to see. Yeah. So cool. Uh, favorite and least favorite shot to throw. Favorite. Mike, I'm going to ask you the follow-up, or the same question. Okay. Because I actually don't know that about you. Man, there's there's so many. I love a grenade. Like, absolutely love a good grenade. Um, and then probably would, would top that also with just, like, when you actually nail a dead straight shot. And whether it's like you throw it flat and it just holds or whether you hyzer flip something and it just doesn't actually weave off that line. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is just a crazy situation. And then least favorite. It's a little bit ironic that the two discs you designed and released 
can achieve that shot. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. I can't, but they can. <laughs> <That's> um, <right. laughs> least favorite, I would, if I wanted to do a little callback, I'd probably say the left hand backhand. But uh, ouch. No, you can't say that's that. That's just, Michael, just for we me. Need, we need to cut this out of the pod, Mike. <laughs> just, just for me. Just for me. I think true least favorite in uh Heiser forehand yes yes yeah. sorry Agreed. that was actually really easy I was like yes. sitting here thinking it was hard but that's because Heiser forehand just wasn't in my cog like just anywhere in my brain yeah. and then all of a sudden I realized it was there and I was like oh I hate that shot same that's my yeah. same answer Mike what about you I'm curious I, know uh, yours. I don't even know my favorite would probably just be like that Pushing Heiser backhand, like it kind of flips up, but it's just, it's just stays nice. on Heiser still. Stay stays on Heiser, goes forward, like yes. The the stock like with a mockingbird or explorer, the stock explorer this. shot, literally just the stock explorer. That's it's just perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my least favorite is the touch backhand, one hundred to one hundred and fifty foot. Shot like <laughs> I, I second that. I just you. I can't do it ever. I'll I'll go forehand, yeah. ninety nine out of a hundred times to accomplish that shot. Yeah, same. Um, what are your favorite baskets to play on? Oh, I have done so much research. Or least favorite? Because... Or least favorite? Yeah, no, it's it's a great question. I've I've literally done so much research this year on everything disc golf because of the podcast that I have and what basket is what is something that I still just do not really pay a ton of attention to so yeah I have a softer putt I think probably just prodigy baskets they tend to push my putt out a little more in terms of the chains themselves and then but I don't even know the difference between prodigy baskets and stuff I'm I'm so bad at this so I I can't answer. I don't know. That's we've had we've power ranked disc golf baskets on this podcast. Have you power ranked um, DGA's naming convention for baskets? No, because I I don't. That's I, all a negative. I still five. don't know. No, it goes like Mach one, two, three, X, five, five, and then X. I and think. then I want to. I think say, they have a seven. I think they did six and seven and then X, not 10 yeah. X. And it just, just go look into the names of all their it's baskets. Bad. It's like, it's, bad. it's just like the iPhone. Like what happened there though? So yeah. it's kind of funny. Yeah. That's funny. Um, so the last question I have, Mike, you can ask any others that, yeah. um, that you don't think we've, we've talked about, um, Coming back to the Dune, the reason you're on this podcast today. No, the reason I'm here is does... to hang out with the boys. Oh, I mean, yeah. thank you. I appreciate that. But the uh, motivating factor to get on today, talking about the Dune and the release of it, because still, I'm just, I'm just so stoked about the launch party and like the reception that we got there. People coming to, you know, just throw it a ton at yeah. the tech disc like that was super fun meeting people like I, it was a blast so i'm still i'm still on that high so for me that's kind of this is still within that realm um but how does the dune fit specifically into your bag because i'll tell you right now for me because i have a stable one and a 
stock one now. I only carry the Dune. That's the only mid-range I have in my bag. So I'm curious how it fits in in your bag. What about overstable for you? I don't need it. I just throw my stable one on Heiser if I need it. Or I disc up to a a, a stable seven speed. Even with wind? Yeah. Wow. What did I say on the In the Bag podcast was my mid-range slots? What were they? Do you know? You had Suspects and then... Yep. M4... Did I have something between those? Did you have an? Or did you didn't have an origin. No. 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 It might I mean, have just been M4 and suspects. For me now, it's Dune and suspects. Um, so suspects. Biofusion. I still, I still have them, but they're like, they're very similar shots to me. It's just going to depend on wind. But then the suspect, I can, I can go forehand with. Yeah. So. Where I'm just I'm not gonna trust the Dune on forehand like Dude, I would. I will say at our little like pre. I will I will stop party. you and say I'm just not as smooth as you are. That's why <laughs> I'm not smooth. I I am first to admit that I'm not smooth with my forehand, but I threw a bunch of forehands and it was yeah. a lot better than I expected it to be. Well, it was nice. You'll have to, with you'll a lot have of hyzer and it just slow flip up. It's beautiful, but yeah, the forehand hyzer, everyone's favorite <laughs> shot. So <laughs> with the, a with an understable disc, it's a little bit more fun. <laughs> I think the the suspects are still in there. To be honest, I, I don't play a lot of golf anymore. So if the last time I went out for like a true round and had my bag, even even right now, I'm not throwing anything other than the dune just because I want to know how it flies in every situation. I want to know what, how it flies when I throw it well and when I throw it poorly. I want to know tailwind headwind right to left left right anything i want to know how it flies i'm going down i'm going up whatever and so i might have a shot where i'd go suspect all day but i'm going dune right now just to see just to make sure i really know this disc um well let's let's teleport jesse into a tournament situation you're playing for ten thousand bucks to go towards trash panda and your ventures there and you have to play, you have to win, play to win, right? What what other mid-ranges, if any, would you bag? And how would, like, the Dune fit into that? Still the same? Yeah, it'd probably be, it'd probably be Dune and Suspect. Um, I'd, cool. I'd Honestly, I would probably grab some kind of very, very beefy mid just to have as a backup. Um, I don't typically use, like, a Justice-type disc, but I'd probably have one in the bag just for an a tournament like that where I might need it. Um, and then I, I use a harp. So I should say that some people have, you know, that four speed slot. It depends. Well, we're talking about suspects, suspects and harps have the exact same flight numbers. So very different discs. There are very different discs, but they have the same flight numbers. So if we're going to count the suspect in my mid category, I should probably mention the harp at least, but the harp is an approach disc for me because I use it in the BT hard not in the like premium plastic like I use. I do biofusion suspects. So which uh I gave you one recently. Yes you did. Okay. Yeah. Mike, uh any other questions that you wanted to hit before we uh send Jesse off on a lovely walk? No, no other questions. I just want to thank you for taking the time out of your your busy schedule to uh come hang out, talk with us and uh we're just so excited for 
you, the company, and for everyone else to get their hands on the Dune. So thank you. Thanks, man. Yeah, no. And we do want to say thank you for letting us rep the brand at USAM. So that was a super fun experience for us. That's why we got the shirts now. That's why we've got, I feel like a, a third of my disc golf gear now is all trash panda stuff. So it's fun. It was an honor to have you rep the brand and support you. And, and it was an honor to come on the show. Thank you guys for having me. Awesome. Second. Well, all right. Thank you for tuning in and listening. We're going to link, link, excuse me, uh, Jesse's podcast in the description here is a podcast in, what's the word I'm looking for? In uh, cooperation? No, that's not the word. Combination with Jomez. You're looking you for collaboration, saying. but I there, just was yeah. sitting there waiting that, for you yeah. to figure it Thank out. You. <laughs> that, thank you. Appreciate that. In collaboration with Jomez. <laughs> Um, and of course, we'll link the uh, most recent Dune video because it is just yeah. like a thing of beauty. Yeah. Thing is that probably one video of your awesome. best videos ever made. Super cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. That means a lot. Cool. All right. Lefties out. Peace. <laughs>